0: the DigitalOcean podcast, uh, The Deep End. This is a place where we talk about technology, um, where we have engineers join us to talk about their challenges and other stuff. So welcome. Um, DigitalOcean, real quick, is the cloud for developers. My name is Mitch Weiner I'm one of the co-founders of DigitalOcean. And here with me today, we have a very, very, very special guest, Mr. Ben Uretsky, the CEO and co-founder of DigitalOcean. Hey, Mitch. Great, great to be here. <laughs> Feels like I've known you forever. So we're going to have a lot of fun today on, on the uh, Deep End podcast. This is going to be a inspiring, educational, and informative conversation, I hope. So definitely. We'll, ha- we'll, ha- we'll definitely have some fun. Uh, so so real quick, Ben, why don't you just you know, quickly um, introduce yourself. Um, obviously, you're the CEO of DigitalOcean, but... Maybe give us give the listeners a little background on your on your history, you know, quick kind of elevator pitch of who is Ben Yuretsky? Sure,
1: yeah, I was born in Russia, uh, immigrated here when I was five years old with uh, my family, my my brother, my mom, and my dad, and uh, one of our grandmas as well. Uh, Went to school in in New York City, graduated from uh, Pace University actually managed to start my first company while attending college, so that, that was great, and uh, built that business over a number of years and had the pleasure of uh, starting DigitalOcean in uh, the summer of 2011 with uh, four other co-founders, you being one of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, uh, and that was definitely a, uh, a fun journey. Uh, we rented a, a three-bedroom ranch out in Boulder, Colorado. Um, yeah that was for the uh, the tech program for the tech program yeah and um you slept on the top bunk uh top bunk bed uh in the house yeah uh, with our with our chief architect co-founder jeff on yeah. the bottom he used to snore
1: quite a bit <laughs> and so i would rock the bed at night almost like a little lullaby song and he would probably, you know, toss to the other side and uh, stop snoring. So that was a that was a pretty good technique I developed over <laughs> over many a night out there.
0: Um, what was your what was your most uh, what, what was what was the most exciting or the the most interesting uh, memory that you can share from TechStars? Um, what what which uh, memory stands out in your mind?
1: Yeah, I'd say demo day. It's a little cliche, but you know all the practice and months of preparation that went into getting ready. And, you know, that was the first time being up in front of, uh, well, not, not the first time. but There was about a thousand people in the audience. Uh, I think it was a high pressure situation because it's, you know, it's investors, it's people from the community. It's not kind of uh, just a general crowd. You know, the other event that came to mind the year prior to that, or actually just a few months earlier, we did the uh, New York Tech meetup. And that was 800 people, but it felt much more kind of supportive because it's the uh, the tech community coming out to see a few companies demo and showcase their um, their work. Whereas the TechStars Demo Day, you feel like you're being judged by a thousand people. So that was definitely an intense experience. And you know, I remember doing the practice sessions with you in the uh, backyard, uh, getting ready for, for Demo Day, and you did the uh, Karate Kid on me, <laughs> wax on, wax on, little
0: off. Mr. Miyagi. Again, again,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah. Anytime that I would mess up the uh the, the the delivery, the speech, you know, you would just say again and we would actually have to start from the top. So we probably put in a good, you know, how many, 20 how many plus rounds, hours. How many rounds of, of uh over, practice?
0: I'd say over a hundred easily. So there you go, folks. Practice your demo day pitches. You need to at least run through it at least a hundred times to get to get it right. Make sure you have a good coach. And make sure you have a good coach. <laughs> to keep you honest <laughs> what music inspires you
1: yeah so I grew up in Brooklyn when hip hop was becoming mainstream and so I love all of the old school um, artists like uh, Biggie and Nas, Jay Z that's definitely always stuck with me through the years and uh, around high school started listening to a lot of electronic dance music um, you know, but that kind of comes and goes, I'd say what definitely feels true to my roots is some good old hip hop from, from Brooklyn, like, uh, Jay-Z from Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
0: Um, so, so tell us about how you chose the DigitalOcean name. This is an interesting story. Not a lot of people know about this story.
1: Yeah. So I've been, uh, you know, always playing around with names, trying to name different companies. I've always been fairly entrepreneurial, Uh, One of my early fantasy ideas that never came to life was a company called uh, Skynet. Um, I had another one, uh, Next Business Solutions. And so, you know, it's always a a pleasure being able to actually name and and brand something. But DigitalOcean, I think, really combines two of my passions, one being technology and giving the uh, the digital aspect, but the other is I love the water and the beach and, and swimming. And so... The idea, when we were already recognized that we would build in a, a a cloud, a scalable cloud infrastructure, the idea was to capture the the theme of an ocean as a very large body of of water. Right, water covers eighty percent of the Earth's surface, so that kind of gave the uh, the grandiose. You know, sentiment to the name and then combining the analog kind of real life ocean with, with the digital part, I think really brought the, that whole theme to, to life. So um, yeah, just kind of, kind of combining and two you, passions you had into the, one. you had the domain name um, yeah. before we started actually started DigitalOcean. I bought the domain name in 2009 uh, from, you know, I worked my way to the seller and I ultimately wound up paying $3,000 to buy the domain, which is a pretty heavy investment in 2009. And so we didn't even start working on the company until a couple of years later. Um, I'm really happy with the name. I feel it's very, uh, very unique. It is. And
0: uh, $3,000 was a, a wise investment. Yeah. <laughs> Considering we paid $20,000 for DO.co, I'd say we, we got off pretty cheap. DO.co is our URL shortener, by the way. Um, so so as CEO of the company, uh, what, what keeps been up at night what's 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 like your you know what what's the what's some of your challenges and like what really keeps you up to at night as a ceo
1: yeah well the interesting thing is that you know the role has changed year by year and different challenges come up and top of mind uh i would say the two that i feel are most uh recurrent is related to the people, um, you know, w- whether it's employees or even the senior leadership team, and making sure that you have that right, that everyone's engaged, they're they're motivated, that you're making the right, you know, hiring decisions. That's all pretty complex stuff. When, you know, in the first company we only hired 20 people. Today, DigitalOcean is roughly 350 people, and so, as a result, you know, the amount of decisions that you have to make multiplies, and and also the, the effects, right? The, the social network built within the company becomes that much more complicated. Um, and so that, that's always an interesting aspect of, of the work. And the second that ties very close to that is making sure that you can paint the right vision for the business so that people feel like when they come to work, they know what needs to be done, they're in alignment with where the company is headed, and that they're motivated and inspired by what we're trying to build. So it all comes down to people. Yeah, companies are collections of people first and foremost they're not the service they're not the product it's it's really it's really people and once you uh, comprehend that I think it allows you to take your leadership to to the next level so let's,
0: t- let's talk more about people for a second so when you're hiring um, great talent you know what is what is the common thread that the highest performing employees share
1: yeah at the company well there's one thing that you know i've kind of developed in myself which is in the interview process i want to walk away having learned something new and that's fairly subjective but you know if you ask that yourself that question uh, I think you'll get a pretty clear answer. you know you just spent forty five minutes to an hour with this person. Did you gain any insights? Sometimes you know the conversation is so enriching that you actually gain insights about your own company with a person who's essentially just walked through the front door and so that's always um really exciting. And you know the other thing, actually, I heard this from uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Is uh, can you imagine working for that person? And you know, I think that if you can get an answer, a, a yes on both, that's a really that that's definitely that's a good great, formula
0: to, fo- to follow. good yeah.
1: framework to follow. Um, so, DigitalOcean has
0: has grown not only on the people side but also on the tech side. Um, we've we've gone through a lot of different. Um, tech, tech, uh, technology challenges and, and struggles, so would love for you to maybe talk about you know some of those struggles in the past um, and how we overcame those those challenges.
1: Yeah well, a few different incidents come to mind. Um, yeah, initially, most of the software was actually written by a single person, Jeff Carr, our co-founder. And, you know, in those days, uh, the way that we would reference it is say, you know, cloud health could be measured in hours. Essentially, how many hours can Jeff stay away from the console before something would break? And he would need to get back in there and fix it. The good news is that we did apply kind of simplicity to our architecture as well. And so we ensured that no matter what happens, customer droplets and customer environments wouldn't be affected by most of the outages and most of the service interruptions. They were more for the website, for the API, some of our back-end systems. And so... Uh, that, that was really good because it allowed us to maintain a really high level of uptime and, and build the performance and reliability that our customers expect. But at the same time, you know, in the early days, if you're a single person building the system, a lot of uh, you know, difficulties or a lot of challenges come up that you may not have foreseen. Also, you know, the, the product really scaled. Uh, Jeff more or less single-handedly got it to nearly 100,000 customers. Um, and so, what, what you start building day one looks radically different when you have 100,000 users on on the service. I'd say that was one challenge. You know, the second is really, as we started to grow, uh, building an engineering team around the service and getting people familiar. So, uh, in terms of documentation, learning the ins and outs of the system, and what was really exciting is that first uh, team. You know, one of their main fa- um, kind of uh, driving uh, objectives was to refactor a lot of the code that that Jeff wrote uh, turning it from kind of a proof of concept into a much more stable and reliable environment uh, with, with documentation with a more modular understanding and so you know that kind of speaks to the shift that we're still going through today, moving away from the monolithic app that was originally built into a more uh, distributed, microservice-enabled architecture. You know we're making good progress, um, but with a more scalable. Uh, service environment comes more complexity. And so we, we have to invest a lot more engineers into building new features and capabilities uh, rather than in the early days, we were able to really rapidly prototype and get things out of the door. Sm- smaller code base, smaller customer set, you know, less production environment. And so there are trade-offs in, in each of those uh, scenarios. Yeah. I remember in the early days too, and this is like super early,
0: Ben used to send some of the employees, including myself at one point to, to go wake up Jeff because the cloud was down for an hour or two. Um, and that's some you know th- those are some of the problems you run into when you have one person owning the entire code base. <laughs> so yeah, but as a startup, those are the, you know the, the challenges and, and, and real struggles that you go through and uh, I feel like the, the first, Few chapters of DigitalOcean. I think that if you were to to title those chapters, it would be called like technical debt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would say call
0: it you know scaling the user base. Yeah, scaling the user base, and then and then maybe. Technical debt.
1: <laughs> and then, yeah, you, you incur some debt along the way, but yeah. we've paid off a lot of it, so that's that's the good news. You're always trying to balance, you know, the ability to move quickly. You know, you incur some debt along the way. I think the team has done a really fantastic job of being able to balance both new product development and paying down uh, tech debt at the same time. So going back to the um, going back to the people topic, um,
0: how is how has the engineering team structure changed throughout the years to support that evolution of our back-end base and and stack?
1: Yeah, there were a few interesting mutations along the way, you know, going from one engineer to 30, uh, breaking up initially into... You could call it maybe feature teams, but not exactly. Bringing in our first set of engineering managers, we really promoted from within our first six. Um, and I think you know what was really inspiring is a few years ago, uh, we sat down and, and came up with a missions document um, and said, okay, if we're going to scale this to a million customers and you know even even more revenue how how do we see ourselves getting there and everyone contributed towards what their team what their team's mission and objective was and we we used a uh, a Google document for it. There was a lot of uh, social commentary, and ultimately, one of the engineers actually whipped up a organizational chart, and that brought clarity to the entire conversation. And so, as we finalized that uh, structure, I mean, it was more or less a few front end teams, quite a few back end teams, and and so it was still a little, you know, front end back end uh, separated, but nonetheless, that structure held for a couple of years. And prior to that, I feel like we were reorging maybe every other quarter. And so that, that stability allowed us to grow the team from, you know, call it that 30 or 40 people to a little bit over 100. And uh, just a few months ago, um, kind of engineer management along with product um, uh, had the opportunity to re-envision a different way to organize the teams. And today we've moved to a much more vertical structure building a team around each of the products. So we have a team for, for Droplet. We have a team for our storage services. We have a team for the network services. And that's full stack from from the front end, uh, the API, all the way to the back end services. And so we're in a much more verticalized structure today. Do you feel like reorgs are, are healthy for an organization? Yeah, I think the word reorg carries a very <laughs> negative connotation with it, but I do feel that the need for change is absolutely critical, especially in earlier stage companies that are growing quickly. Uh, you know, if you just think about it, a, a team of one versus a team of 30 versus a team of 120, it's very unlikely that they would follow the same organizational structure. And so, you know, in our case, uh, a lot of the changes have come as a result of growing the amount of people. Working on the different services, rather than taking an existing team that's tried and true and reorganizing within it. I mean, there is a need, you know, to do both, uh, uh, you know, change for scale, and then also reorganize the existing set of cust- uh, or the existing set of teams. You just got to know when when to pull each trigger. That's that's good. That's good, uh, that's good insight. Um, let's talk a little bit about
0: uh, capital for for a quick sec, and I know this is a topic that you're you're a little you know you have some passion behind. Sure. It takes a, takes a lot of capital to support an infrastructure business, a cloud infrastructure business like DigitalOcean, and we've had to raise um, quite a bit of money along the years to support support our growth. So let's uh, let's rewind the clocks. Let's yeah. go back in time and. Maybe kind of walk us through the beginning of your fundraising experience, and maybe share some some tips and some insights to other, you know, technical founders out there that you know could use a little bit of guidance on, and you know, raising money for the
1: first time, for the second time, for their business. Yeah, so the first round, um, which never really came to be, was right after TechStars. Uh, the expectation after demo day is that you go and raise capital, and so we tried to put together a reasonably modest 500k seed round, and there wasn't a lead investor that really bubbled up. And so, now you you probably remember this pretty vividly. You and I were uh, haggling with a uh, with a group of different uh, angels and and investors trying to pull together. Ultimately, it felt like 11 or 12 different parties. Uh, To contribute towards that 500k goal, Uh, we got pretty far, but we were still short by maybe 100 150k. We actually wound up doing a infographic on why you should invest 500k (laughs) in DigitalOcean to convince. uh, That's
0: that's still in our inbox somewhere. We should pull that up. Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) and and so you know that whole process took, I'd say by the end when we when we had all the capital uh, committed basically that took 3 months and it it basically shifted my responsibility from being able to focus on the product or the company to now actually just fundraising and i'm very thankful that you know at some point a, third, a thought occurred in my mind that this would actually be a very difficult uh, kind of structure for us to continue within. And so we pulled the brakes and decided to actually inform the people that were interested that we were going to cancel this round and perhaps look to do something in the future. Um, part of that was our unfair advantage that we were able to use our first business to help uh, continue to incubate DigitalOcean and allow it to grow. Uh, we were using a modest amount of money just you know, for, for payroll and some of the infrastructure services But it was a really good decision uh, because, you know, having 12 different people in the conversation makes it pretty challenging. And uh, ultimately, it took way too much time to raise that capital. And so a short... How do you balance that time as a CEO, right? Like, it takes a lot of time to raise capital.
0: And it also so it takes time away from the operations of, of the business and running the business itself. So it you know, at times it could feel a little distracting. So how do you how do, how do you manage your
1: time or how do you balance it? Yeah. I mean in my experience and this is definitely not the only way to do it, but when we did enter into fundraising mode, uh, that pretty much became my my top and only priority. Uh, the way to think of it is, if you don't have this capital, the business cannot survive. So therefore, there cannot be anything more important. And and so that actually speaks to why we canceled that that initial seed round because we were able to survive on the capital that we had available to us at that time. Now a few months later we fin uh you know, in January of 2013, um, when we hit our initial traction and really started to scale out of control, um, what forced us to go back into the venture capital community is that our working capital needs were so large that we were not able to sustain the business. And so we had a pretty binary choice. We would either have to create, you know, a wait list and curb the supply because demand was too high, or we would go and raise additional funds so that we can continue to Uh, deliver against the man that that existed. And so, luckily, with that traction behind us, now the story began to resonate much more strongly with the uh, institutional investor community, and uh, we already had a relationship with IA Ventures and Brad Gillespie, Um, and so we were able to come together on a deal fairly quickly. I'd say, also, they were pretty smart about the business, because we had been conversing for probably a year, they were the ones to recommend that we actually go to Techstars in the first place to continue to iterate and, and grow the business. Um, and one of the interesting things is that not only did we raise equity uh, and, and put in dollars towards working capital, but one of the mandates in that original deal was actually that we go out and raise three times the amount in debt. And we use that to finance all of our infrastructure and capital expenditures. And so that was a really good round for DigitalOcean because it allowed us to bring on board the working capital we need to grow um, our our employees, grow, grow our company, pay our bills, but also infused a ton of um, additional credit with which we'd be able to go out and buy the servers and data center space that we would need. So we, we also heard a lot
0: of notes in those uh, pitches. Um, and you know, it took a lot of a lot of time to, to eventually secure I, w- I would say our second second round of funding. Yeah. Um, because I you know, it took it took some um it took some time for the investors to really understand our story and our vision where we were headed. So maybe maybe share, you know, like what are what are some of your tips? Like we heard a lot of no's. But it wasn't wasn't necessarily um it wasn't wasn't I wouldn't call it easy yeah. uh, by any means. So what what are some tips that you can share to kind of persevere, push through and like
1: well, the really good news around getting a lot of no's is the people that ultimately do say yes understand your business at such a fundamental level that it, at sometimes, you know, it can really complement your own vision for for the company. And so I feel like those uh, people really join the business as partners. They really understand the story and where the company is headed. And so that, that was really exciting. Um, you know, at a high level, the the pitch, you know, when, when we would hear or know, kind of the, the you know the summary is, okay, so you're going to compete against Amazon, and and actually several firms actually have a, a rule that they don't invest into companies that compete with Amazon. So True story, of, by the way, <laughs> a lot of times you just get disqualified for that. Uh, two is you're building a product for developers. You know, we don't understand the developer market. And three is this is something they're going to love. You know, it's, it's very hard for someone to really wrap their head around it. Now, what was really interesting is that we had the metrics and the traction to back this up and yet still received a a ton of rejections along the way. And then, last but not least, also the financial profile of the business is not your just your typical software company. There is also a infrastructure footprint. The good news is the unit economics and the margins are are fantastic uh, in in the business. But nonetheless, it requires the investor to look at the company in a non standard way. And so, I think the people that can get a, to the other side really understand the business at a at a fundamental level.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's important that you, you know, seek out those investors as as key partners to your business. They really understand at a granular level what you do, um, because that's going to enable you to, you know, um, grow with them, and um, it's going to enable you and your business to 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 really find those those key partners that are going to help you at the end of the day, and and you know. The people the, the companies that invest in DigitalOcean truly believe that the developers are the future. I would say Andreessen Hortz in, in, in particular believes in that in that vision. So let's, let's talk more about that vision for a second. So if you were to, to describe DigitalOcean's five year vision, uh, in your mind, what, what is the what is the DigitalOcean five year vision?
1: Yeah. So we've done a really good job of delivering uh, Droplet to market and many people could mistake that, you know, we didn't have ambitions to build more. But really what we want to do is um, abstract away the entire infrastructure layer and get developers to talk natively so that their applications are really the the front and center today. It's really a server-based world, and I think that over the next five years, we'll start to see a rapid transition towards the application. We're starting to see that a bit with, um, with serverless and kind of function computing. But even that allows you to rewrite your application into that new standard. You know The world that we're envisioning is you're building an application like you always have, and there's a new standard that allows the application to essentially scale and manage and operate itself and run on top of this infrastructure that you don't have to worry about. But the beauty is that if you do need that kind of raw or root access, you can still get into the environment and have a you know, have full control over your resources. But the idea over the next five years is to um, have developers stop translating their code into a server environment and be able to speak natively against the cloud platform. And um, we have core values
0: at DigitalOcean. Core values in many ways is not just writing on the wall. Um, it's, it's, It's what the company lives and breathes by. And so... You know what? What what values kind of really speak to you, and what values, more importantly, kind of tie to our, our product vision?
1: Yeah, the, the few why. that are top of mind for me. Obviously, simplicity is uh, our differentiation in the market, and you know, really speaks to the initial architecture that we built. Um, we I'm always asking the question: You know, can we do this simpler? Is this simple enough? Uh, for our own internal processes as well as for the products that we build so simplicity definitely is a value that um, is is top of mind for us you know the second is really the community um, what we're trying to build is engaging to people all around the world where they can learn they can grow their uh, understanding they can build and, and you know share with everyone else and bring their vision to life. I think that's really empowering. I remember when I was growing up being part of the IRC community and the open source community, um, you know a lot of learning in those early days and so I think you know it's it's about the, the people that you surround yourself with and you know it's great to learn from those that, that can share. What it, was that your term. username on IRC? <clears throat> uh, it was sync. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like the music like command? Like uh, NSYNC? Like the music <laughs> like, band? Yeah. I, uh, a, lot of, a lot
1: of jokes in those days. Yeah. Uh, but I'll stick with it. And, you know, the last one is, is love. You have to love what you do. And if you do, then the products that you build and the way that you interact with others, they will feel the same in return for you.
0: What's been uh, the most su- surprising moment in this startup journey? called DigitalOcean?
1: That's a tough question. (laughs) There have been a tremendous amount of surprises along the way.
0: Um, What's top of mind? What's like one that just kind of pops in your head?
1: I think, you know, the most surprising has been actually getting this far. I don't think that we've ever imagined building a company as massive As What we've been able to achieve and having gotten this far and looking ahead and realizing that we've only taken a couple of steps on on this journey is probably the biggest surprise. And, you know, when you're in the middle of it all, it's really hard to appreciate all the hard work and and success and and, you know, milestones that you've crossed. Um, and so sometimes when you talk to a friend or someone kind of external to the company, you can begin to appreciate that. But it's, it's really hard in the moment to, to really recognize everything that we've been able to achieve. But, you know, what is surprising is not only how far we've gotten, but also how much more there is to build um, and I think how receptive the community is to seeing DigitalOcean continue on that journey. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Ben, for your
0: time. I think I think we're out of time. So, um, hope hope the listeners uh, enjoyed this uh, this podcast episode, and thanks for tuning in.
1: Absolutely, thanks so much, Mitch. This was awesome. <laughs> Can't wait to do it again. Thanks, everybody.